you for that prayer time. Let's uh, turn again, as we did a couple of weeks ago, to the book of Exodus, second book in the Bible in the Old Testament. And uh, this is the story of uh, the redemption of God's people out of slavery in Egypt. And the reason Moses is telling this story, he's telling it to explain to the Israelis, how in the world did this happen? How did we get here 400 years ago? And how did we go from being in such favor with the Egyptians? You remember when Joseph was the one who interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, and then Pharaoh said, oh, if there's going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine, we need someone to administrate this for us. Who's wiser than you? And so uh, Joseph goes from the prison cell to, uh, some have said, the prime minister of Egypt, second in command to Pharaoh. And Joseph brought his family, 70 people, uh, Jacob included in that. And they all come to Egypt and uh, they are people that are favored by the government and favored by the uh, people and they're held in high esteem. But then the Bible tells us that eventually, as it always happens, generations come and generations go and there arose even a new Pharaoh and one who knew not Joseph and everything started changing. And then they started multiplying, the Jews did, and uh, the king of Egypt says, well, you know, all of these Jews, I mean, we can't have that many of them because they'll take over everything and they'll destroy our culture, they'll side with our enemies, and so they began to treat them harshly and began to enslave them. But it even got worse. Could it get any worse than that? Well, it, it does. And that's kind of the way it is with the curse of sin. The curse always gets worse. It's a good rhyme for you, isn't it? It doesn't get better. The curse gets worse. And there's a downward spiral to things because of our fallen nature and because of the work of the enemy and because of the nature of this world. So what happened in here in Egypt as they began to take further steps down? I mean, they really weren't all that high to begin with. They were an idolatrous nation, and uh, there they were, that little strip of land on either side of the Nile River. They couldn't exist without the Nile, and uh, they didn't get rainfall to speak of. They would irrigate from the Nile, and so they were kind of dependent upon the river and not on rainfall. Arthur Pink said that's a good analogy in the fact that they were dependent upon the river and not dependent upon rain that fell from heaven. In other words, Egypt is a picture of living life independent from heaven. What do we need rain for? We've got the Nile. And what did that lead to? They began to worship the Nile River. They began to see their strength and their uh, supply and everything in the river instead of the God who made the river. And so Egypt, as it lives independent from heaven, is already in trouble. But nations in trouble do something interesting. They tend to take downward steps. Just one step at a time. It may take several generations to get down as low as they finally go. But what happens? As I've taken a step down over here, you know I can stand here for a while. And if I did this week after week after week, eventually you would think, well, it's just normal for the pastor to stand on the first step. And sometimes those traditions become so normalized that there are some people that say, well, I don't think you can preach unless you're on the first step. 
Some people don't think you can preach unless you're behind a pulpit or something like that, right? And so over time, what happens? The next generation goes down a little bit more. And what happens after week after week, month after month, and year after year? That becomes the new normal. And you know the next generation is going to come along, and they're going to rebel against that and push the envelope. Where do they go? Wouldn't it be nice if rebellion took you this way? But it doesn't. And it tends to go down. And we see this as normal. We see this as the way, you know, not that big a deal. What's so radical about that? It's only a short uh, departure from where we were before. And things head down and they head down. And we watch that in families. We watch that in our cultures. We watch that in our education system. We watch that in our morals. We watch that in just common everyday ethics. All of these kind of things take place and they are constantly heading down. Every once in a while, God will bring an awakening or a revival and it tends to pull you up a step or two. But then within a generation or so, what happens? There's another step down and it becomes normal. Do you... uh, Realize how shocking things would be in, uh, if Charles Spurgeon, our hero, if he were to come to our church. He would be shocked and stunned at the way some of you dress. You say, well, it's not immoral. It would have been considered highly inappropriate for his time, wouldn't it? Some of the things, if he were to watch our television commercials... Isn't that something? I mean, Sammy and I have gotten to where we record a lot of things, and we buzz past the commercials if we can. And so there's some of those things people ask about, and I go, I've never seen that, because we kind of skip them. Uh, But then every once in a while, when you're forced to watch them, you look and you go, good gravy. You know, there are things that they talk about in commercials now that even 20 years ago you wouldn't mention in Decent Company, would you? You just didn't talk about them. And everything begins to move, and after a while it becomes normalized, normalized, normalized. And every generation kind of gets a new normal, and they think that's where we are, and it's further and further away from God, and it's a downward spiral. Well, let me show you in this passage that we uh, read today about what happened to Egypt as they go, I guess we would say, further on down. And I think you're going to see somebody in this. I think you might see a family or two in this. And I think you might see a nation or two in all of this. Because what we're reading about today is kind of a story, um, I guess, explanation of Romans chapter 1. Sometimes you ought to go back and read Romans chapter 1. And you see what happens when God abandons nations and individuals and stuff. And I used to think when I would read Romans chapter 1 that God would abandon a culture or a nation because of immorality. And I've come to see in Romans 1, look for yourself sometime, that actually the immorality and the perversion that we see, that is the judgment of God on our nation. And God removes the restraints and all kinds of things come in like a flood and they become normal. They become non-threatening, non-shocking, and we accept them, and we accept them, and they move on until we're all the way down. Can you see that? 
Well, that happened even in Egypt. Look in Exodus 1, verse 15. This is the king's response to the Jews being blessed by God to be prolific in in, uh, their uh, childbearing. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shifra, and the name of the other was Pua. Often thought some of you ought to take Pua as your grandma name. Verse 16. And he said, When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Well, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are more lively and give birth before the midwives come to, the, come to them. Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was, because the midwives feared God, that he provided households, family, children, marriage, that kind of thing, uh, for them. So Pharaoh commanded, look at this, all his people, not just the midwives, all his people, saying, every son who is born to you, you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Isn't that interesting? So when you can't control them, kill them. Now this progression we see today is uh, pretty much, it's kind of a simplification, but it's the way Germany went in the 1930s. They were a highly educated, western, Christianized society. And look where they ended up in just a few short years under Hitler. We just celebrated just recently the liberation of Auschwitz. Can you imagine a country that would sanction, a government that would sanction the killing of six million Jews, and we call it a holocaust. Well, they've been trying to kill and wipe out Jews from the beginning, and here we see it in this situation. Oh, there's so many of them. What do we do? We'll just kill all the boys. Kill all the boys, keep the girls, and uh, that way we will stop them from reproducing. And so, in a general, we don't want to get rid of all of them right now, or who would take care of our you know, the slave duties and all of that kind of thing, but we're just going to slow this whole thing down. And if it gets to where we don't have enough slaves, we can always reverse our position and let some of the male children live. Now, these two midwives, uh, it's not logical to think they were the only ones. They were probably the ones who were in charge of the midwives. There were so many of the Israelis, and so uh, Pharaoh talks to them, kill them. 
And of course, as we read in there, they feared God and they don't want to take life. And one of the things that you will find about the Jewish people, uh, all the way from the beginning of them, they always had this concept that life is to be elevated and life is to be protected above everything else. In fact, sometimes when they do a toast or a blessing, they say lechaim, and that means to life. We've got to survive. In the concentration camps in Germany, there are many of them that would testify the only thing we lived for was Lechaim, to stay alive, to get out of this place, and to carry on the uh, covenant of God and to carry on our race. Always have been very, very diligent about those type of things. And you'll also find here that when the midwives... Um, speak to Pharaoh, they don't necessarily say, we can't do that, Pharaoh, because we fear God. After all, Pharaoh thought he was God. And so uh, they come up with something else, but their uh, reason for doing that, kind of like the spies in Jericho and other things like that, to cover up their real reason because they had a higher purpose. And uh, this is one of those situations where probably saying we ought to obey God rather than men probably wouldn't work that well. And some people have some trouble with this. Isn't this a lie? Well, in a sense it is. Uh, someone suggested that maybe the Hebrew, uh, the midwives of the Hebrews, that maybe when they heard Mrs. Jones, or whatever their name might be, is getting ready to have a baby... And uh, they would sit down and have a cup of coffee and wait and just wait and just wait. And then when they showed up, lo and behold, the baby had already been born, you know. And then they could say to Pharaoh, well, these Hebrew women just had babies so fast, not like the, uh, you know, the weak Egyptian women. <laughs> these women are really something, and they uh, just have them quicker than we can. So maybe it was kind of a partial truth and kind of a cover-up. Pharaoh probably, probably knew that probably understood that but you'll notice here that it says that God blessed them for doing that God blessed them for doing that now uh, you say how could God bless a lie probably the same way that if someone broke into your house and they got you as the husband as the father in the kitchen and they said where is your wife where is your daughter well, what do you want them for because we're going to rape them and kill them what would you say? Well, they're not here. My wife went to go uh, see her parents a week ago. There's no one else here but me. Believe me, uh, you know, just take me instead or something like that. I mean, there are all kinds of things we would do. What if you were captured as a POW and they said to you, where is your unit? Where are they? We need to know their position. You would tell them anything. You would tell them something that would be wrong in order to do that. Well, that's what they're doing here. This is not a lie for personal benefit. This is not a lie for anything like that. This is a lie to try to keep as many people alive for as long as possible, like a military prisoner of war would do or like a husband or father would do if someone broke into their house. This is for the sake of life. This is for the sake of protection. So I hope that kind of makes it a little bit more clear here. It's not always as easy as we think or as cut and dried as we think. And as we look at this, notice that number one in this descent, notice the first thing that happens is evil becomes bold. Now, uh, there are some things that we've already mentioned that 20, 30 years ago wouldn't be mentioned. A hundred years ago, they would hardly be thought of or even whispered about. 
And now all of a sudden they're out. What has happened? What has happened? Evil becomes more bold. Some of the things that they used to cover up, now they come out and they're proud of them. In Romans chapter 1 it says, They not only do those things, but they heartily applaud others who do them as well. And so with that becomes an attack on the family, an attack on marriage, an attack on sexuality. There comes all kinds of things that we uh, look at in our world today. Why? Evil is not afraid of us. And they're not afraid of the wrath of God. They're not afraid of the will of the people. They're not afraid of anything. They just come out and assert themselves in some pretty amazing ways. And so this is what happened now. King's got to do something. And this is probably a situation that Egypt would have frowned on a generation before. In fact, when Joseph was alive, the thought of killing Hebrews, Jews would have been unthinkable. After all, these people saved our lives and they saved the empire. What are you doing? But now it's a new generation. And all of the things that were in the background, the anti-Semitism, all of that that wasn't spoken of before, now all of a sudden it's coming out. Now all of a sudden it's getting vocal. And have you noticed in our own land that evil and perversion is getting more and more and more bold every time we turn around. And it's not slowing down. It's getting shockingly faster and faster and faster. In fact, it's even getting to the point to where you can't even understand what is going on. And even some of the people that are involved in it are having trouble staying consistent. I apologize to my Sunday school class I'm going to tell you the same thing I told you then. Martina Navratilova, remember her, the tennis player, who is an, uh, a gay activist. She is now pushing for Tennis Australia to change the name of Margaret Court Arena to uh, Yvonne Gulagong. Did I say that right? And uh, the reason is because Margaret Court, the tennis player, famous Australian tennis player, is a Christian and she has espoused in recent years and previous years as well biblical view of marriage and sexuality so now Martina Navratilova wants her name taken off of that and put the name of someone who is famous as an Australian tennis player woman's tennis player but who is more tolerant of Martina Navratilona's ideas about sexuality and marriage. Is there any big surprise on that? No, not really. Not really. That's kind of the world we live in. But here's where the irony comes in. Martina Navratilova has come out recently saying that transgender men should be banned from playing in women's sports. Uh-oh. How'd she do that? I mean, she was in fashion at one time. All of a sudden now she is horribly horribly out of step so the LGBTQ and on and on and on that goes they're not in the harmony and unity that we think they are you see God is not the author of confusion and he has given us his word and eternal timeless truths in other words they don't change thus saith the Lord in the beginning God created them male and female it's pretty simple isn't it and it doesn't change whatever generation that you're on. But whatever the devil does 
It's always on quicksand. It's always shifting. It's always changing. And you'll find that even the devil's crowd can't get along with one another. So now there's controversy because Martina, being one time at the forefront of things and being on the cutting edge, she's now a dinosaur because she has offended the T in that long string of letters, right? Feminists are starting to speak up in some op-eds in newspapers and things. How can we have a feminist agenda if male oppressors can just identify as women and join our group? It doesn't make any sense, does it? And so as they begin to turn on each other and devour one another, what do we do? We stand firm where we have always been on the truth of the Word of God. And as they become more bold, more perverted, and as they get more confused, and as their worldview causes them to kind of cave in and collapse on themselves, what a wonderful opportunity for us to tell other people and to stand firm in the timeless truths of the Word of God. And there's a sense to where that we don't really need a lot of marches and things like that. Just keep doing what you're supposed to do. And in time, you're going to have a strong platform from which to uh, speak. Because the enemy's ways never work. We uh, read on Wednesday night in Psalm 37 about uh, how it is with the enemy. Let their bows be broken. Well, that pretty well takes away your weapon, doesn't it? You're not going to launch an arrow with a broken bow. And let their sword pierce their own hearts. In other words, David was saying, Lord, in the nature of things, don't let those who are against you triumph, but let their own confusion and their own weapons come against them. You know, it's interesting to read in the Old Testament about how many times people would attack the people of God, Israel, and what would happen? The people are panicked. What's going to happen? How are we going to survive? And they forgot about the promises of God. They forgot about the covenant that God had made with them. And God intervenes and the enemies turn on themselves. I think you see that happen time and time and time again. And so we don't need to be the ones that say we need to be like them and we need to do what they're doing. Just stand strong. Just speak up when it's appropriate. Live your life. Teach your children. Lead them to faith in Christ. Disciple them. Be faithful and active in the right things and support the right causes and get involved in all of that because you're going to triumph and God's ways are going to triumph. And what is going to happen? Evil is going to turn on itself. And the more bold it gets, the more outspoken it gets, the more trouble it's going to have. Because we all know what was the end of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's people. But not yet. Not yet. Evil gets bold. Now the second thing that you'll notice that happens is that life becomes cheap. All of a sudden it's not sacred. It's expendable. And you find this in about every movement, anti-God movement that's ever been on the earth and ever will be. 
It's interesting that as believers we uphold life because we go back to Genesis and we believe that every man, woman, boy, and girl is created in the image of God. Now have you noticed how with Darwinism, evolution, those kind of things, what does all that do? It takes God and the imago Dei, the theologians call it, the image of God out of the picture. We're just animals. We're just accidents. What do you do when you have too many deer in a forest? You thin them out. They're just animals after all. And you uh, allow the herd to survive by killing off some of the other ones. What do you do when there are too many Jews on the earth? Well, you kill them off. They're just animals. It doesn't matter. What do you do if you have a baby in your womb that you don't want? You kill them off. I mean, it always happens in the same way. And when we uh, talk about the Holocaust, six million Jews, as horrific as that was, nobody stops to think about, I think it's something like 75 million that Stalin killed when he was the communist dictator of the Soviet Union. Nobody stops to think that the further you move from God, there seems to be more killing. There seems to be more taking of human life. Life becomes expendable and people look at it like it is just no big deal. And so we think about these things. We affirm the sanctity of human life, the holiness of human life because humans are made in the image of of God. And that has always called us as believers to uphold life. It has caused us to preserve life, to help people that are in need. In fact, if you uh, look around the world, you will find that nearly, nearly every relief organization, the hospitals, Red Cross, all of those kind of things, have some type of Christian origin in them. D. James Kennedy wrote a great book, if you uh, have a chance to get a hold of it. He's with the Lord now. But he wrote a book called, What If Jesus Had Not Been Born? And he talks about all of the movements from the time of Christ until now that are humanitarian, that are helpful, the advances in science, the advances in medicine. They all came through organizations with at least a Christian emphasis or understanding of life. It's a gift of God. It is sacred to God, and it ought to be sacred to us as well. So life becomes cheap. What are we going to do with this problem? Just kill them. Just kill them. What are we going to do with the Jew problem? Just kill them. What are we going to do with babies that we don't really want? Our last president said that he wanted abortion to be legal because if his daughters made a mistake, he did not want them, and I quote, punished with a child, unquote. Well, if you have that kind of mentality, then it makes sense, doesn't it? If you have the idea that we are just evolutionary accidents, I say, then it makes sense. Do what you want to. There's no afterlife. There's no judgment. In fact, there's no God. And so whenever that happens, life becomes cheap. And we have certainly seen that. Number three, notice this. Openness and transparency becomes impossible. These uh, midwives coming before Pharaoh, they can't possibly say what they're really thinking. I think we live in that kind of an age too. Some of us are afraid to say what we really think because you can really be persecuted for that nowadays. 
you can lose your job. You can lose status in the community. You might have family members that will break fellowship <coughs> with you because of something that you think or say. In fact, in this age of tolerance, have you noticed how intolerant we have become? If you will march with the crowd, if you will march to their drumbeat, if you'll be moving along with them, you're going to be fine. But if not, boy, are you ever in trouble. Political correctness is one of the curses of the time in which we live. Everybody's offended. Everything has to be redone. Everything has to be relabeled. And some of that is okay. Some of it is absolutely horrible. And the result of changing our mindset to that is it clamps down the Christian. Well, we can't say what the Bible says, can we? You go into some place and you can talk about God and people will nod and smile and that's cute. He believes in God. I guess that's okay. It helps. You mention the name of Jesus and all of a sudden you've got trouble. That's the name above every other name and the devil hates it and so does the devil's crowd. You start talking about what Jesus had to say and what he taught. Uh, it's okay for you to believe that Jesus is your way. You know, everybody has a, a chance to believe whatever they want. When you start saying, no, that's not what I said. It's just not that he's the way for me. He's the only way for anyone. Well, you'll get persecuted in a hurry when you do that. When you start saying things about marriage, husbands and wives are supposed to be male and female, one man, one woman, you can get into some trouble nowadays. When you talk about divorce, you can get into some trouble nowadays. When you talk about what you think and what the Bible says about the uh, sexuality issue, gender issues and all that, you can get into some trouble. And so we've got to try to relabel things and we've got to make things less offensive and we've got to try to make things to where people out in the world, maybe they won't hate us so bad, maybe they won't think so poorly of us. And we've got large, large churches and movements now that say, we don't really want to talk about sin. People feel badly enough about themselves. We're going to be here to lift them up. And Joel Osteen has about 30,000 coming to his church and yet doesn't want to talk about sin. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that now we are kind of stifled because we're afraid to really tell the truth. That's what happens in a society. These midwives, they couldn't come before Pharaoh and really say what they thought. They had to be careful. They had to watch it. And when you live in a world now to where even uh, there are some people that are saying that preachers like me should be prosecuted for preaching against sin, especially homosexuality, I mean, it's right on the cusp here in America. Think about that. So now all of a sudden, we've got to cut verses out of the Bible. Well, we can't really. You can read it and you can believe it, but you can't publicly proclaim it. It's called a hate crime. And we don't tell the truth because we hate anybody. We tell the truth because we love God. We love His Word. We love our church. And the pastor is called to equip the saints for works of ministry by preaching the whole counsel of God. 
And we also do it because we love people and we want to see them liberated from sin and liberated from the bondage that they are in and to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But in the world in which we live, it's hard to be open about all of that, getting harder as time goes by. And if there's any time we need to be bold, it would be now. If there's any time we need to be wise, it would be now. And yet it becomes very difficult. Free speech is kind of clamped down, clamped down. Well, everybody else gets to do it. And it's amazing and ungodly what they get to talk about in public. Shameful. But let a believer stand up and testify of their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's called hate speech. Do you see where we are on this thing? Now you notice in the next section of scriptures, as this continues to kind of go down... The uh, fourth thing is, the unthinkable is normalized. You see, when he told the midwives, you guys just take care of this, let's keep it quiet, let's keep it, you know, out of the open, let's keep it out of the light, let's keep it in this uh, concealed thing, you know, you just take them and when a baby's born, you just take them and wrap them up and be really nice to them and sweet in front of the mother and take them out and throw them in the river. Um, kind of reminds me of a certain governor in our nation that said when the baby is born, take it over, lay it down, wrap it in a blanket, keep it comfortable until the mother decides whether she wants to keep it or not. Uh, infanticide, we call it. Well, as horrible as that is, can I ask you a question? Bible-believing Christians who believe that life begins at conception and all uh, those who are conceived are in the image of God, why is that any worse than an early term abortion. Well, you don't really see that. The baby doesn't really cry or anything. You see where we're going with all of this? And what used to be unthinkable is now normal. Now normal. A pro-life Democrat recently talked to presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg, the former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, and ask, is there a place in the party for someone like me? I'm a lifelong Democrat. I believe in all the liberal agenda except for the abortion thing. And basically, he told her without really telling her, he said, no. No. And you and I can think of old-time Democrats. My grandfather was one. He would be appalled at the candidates now and the party platform. See, most of us can remember when they would tell us, well, we just want abortion early. We want it to be safe, legal, and rare. Now it's almost like it's a badge of honor to do that. Look where we have fallen to. Look at the things that are going on. And we see immorality. We see perversion. We see corruption. My goodness, I get so tired of hearing people that I voted for, that I support, and then it turns out they weren't anything near what I thought they were going to be. It's because we're in decline as a nation, and we're not honest. We're not clear. We say whatever we have to say in order to get our people to vote for us. Then we live however we want to live. And then things that used to be unspeakable and we kind of, you know, hid and said, yeah, we don't really want this. Now we can be bold and say, this is exactly what we want, right? Because evil becomes normalized. Where do I get that out of this text? 
Well, at first it was just, hey, shh, midwives, here's what we want you to do. Now, shh, keep it quiet, keep it quiet. Then when Pharaoh finds out he's been duped by them, and the Jews are continuing to, continuing to be prolific and reproduce, he calls them in. When they say, well, these Hebrew women, they're just, you know, man, they can have babies and go right back out to the plow. I mean, it's nothing to them. They're not like the Egyptians. So what is his thing? Notice down here in these verses, verse 20 and following. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was, because the midwives feared God, that he provided households for them. They got blessed for just doing what's right. Look at 22. So Pharaoh commanded, and the next three words are very important, all his people. In other words, now we're to the point where we're not going to cover it up anymore. We're not going to pretend anymore. Take the mask off. Be who you are. And it was a horrible thing. All of you in Egypt now. Not just the Hebrew midwives. All of you. Your duty to protect the empire and to protect your king is to take any Hebrew male child that you see and throw them in the river. And all of a sudden now, this thing that would have made them gasp, this thing that would have sickened them, now all of a sudden... It's just normal. You ever wondered what German people thought when they saw the smokestacks belching out smoke and ash? Did they ever question it? Or did it just become, it's what happens? It's just what goes on. Was there any uprising? Well, there were some, but they were few and they were minor. They just sort of kind of, you know... Well, don't ask, don't tell. Just go along to get along. If you do that, you could lose your job and all of that. And look how they descended. One of the wealthiest, industrialized, most educated countries in Europe. And look what they became under the Nazi regime. Well, look what happened when you go back through world empires and see what happens. Go back when you see what can happen to nations, even nations like our own nation that we love very much. Can I get an amen on that? And we're grateful for the freedoms that we have here. And, and they protect our God-given rights. But yet we can also see that the very thing that was happening in Egypt, it's happening to us. And what is this really all about? Moses, why are you telling all of this? Is this just so that we can be more maybe socially and politically astute? Well, we should be. The Word of God is here to make us wise. And we understand human nature. And we understand what's going on in these kind of things. Yeah, we can see it. But let me tell you, the real threat behind this is this is satanic. This is demonic. The killing of these children. And what was really going on? Oh, it wasn't about Pharaoh. It was about this. In the Garden of Eden... When Adam and Eve ate the fruit, when God spoke to Eve, he told her that you're going to have pain in childbearing. And then he tells the serpent that you're going to crawl on your belly. It makes you wonder what serpents look like before the fall. And he said that the seed of the woman, you're going to strike his heel and he's going to crush your head. One is going to be 
painful, one is going to be fatal. And what was he talking about? The birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And through Abraham it was revealed it's going to be a a Jew. The Messiah will be Jewish through the line of Abraham and through the line of Isaac and then later through the line of Judah, one of Jacob's sons. And of course, you you know the rest of the story on that. But see, in these days... The only thing that had been recorded was he would be from a woman, a virgin birth, and he would be a Jew from Abraham, and he would be through Isaac, and he would be through Judah. That's about as far as it went. So what was the devil's plan? Wipe out the whole race. Keep Messiah from coming. And what happened? God always has a people in the right place, at the right time, to do the right thing so that his plan is never thrown off course. And we're going to see that in time, God sends a deliverer out of one of those little babies that should have been killed. And the weirdest thing of all, not only was he not killed, even though he was put in the river, Pharaoh's own daughter finds him and adopts him as her own son. I want to tell you something. God can take, you ever heard this before? A crooked stick and hit a straight lick every time. Why? Because it's not dependent upon the stick. It's dependent upon the power of God. So child of God, let me tell you. There are some things that ought to alarm you in this world. There are some things you need to perk up your ears and be aware of. But at the same time as you watch these things happen, fear not, little flock, Jesus said. For it is the Father's will to give you the kingdom. It's not always going to be like this. And God is in control. And he's working his plan. And he'll do it in some amazing and strange and weird ways. Because God's ways indeed are a mystery. And we don't understand them all. But make no mistake about it. He is sovereignly in control of this world. And Jesus is coming again and we believe very soon amen church and so we pray that and so we pray like the apostle john even so come lord jesus will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me father as we give this time of response we ask that everybody here is listening and that they are hearing what you say to them there are some people here today who need to be saved and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And I pray that they would. There are some here that may need to put their membership in this church, and I pray that they would. There are some here that might have sin in their lives of which they need to repent, things that they need to lay down and surrender to the Lordship of Christ, and I pray that they would. And there may be some here that every time they watch the news... Their hearts are filled with fear. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? How will we survive this? How are we going to make it through? What in the world is going on? I pray that this little story today and the points out of it will remind us Pharaoh may be big, Pharaoh may be bold, but he's not in control. Jesus and Jesus alone is Lord. Your plan is intact. Your promises are true. Your character and nature never change. Your truth that you have revealed to us is an unchanging truth. And all we need to do is stand firm in the power of the Lord. Put on the armor of God and follow orders. Oh, Lord, that we would do that. And that we would do it with confidence in you. 
Thank you, Lord, for that. You're always a God who delivers your people. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. Let's stand.